Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. God is a poet. This from our Nicene Creed. In the Nicene Creed, we confess in the first line, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The Greek word for maker is poietes, from which we get our English word poet. Uh, If you will, God is the poet laureate of all creation. Now, if we were to play with this idea just a little bit, what might this tell us about God? I mean, what does a poet do? A poet uses words to create new worlds, to give us new ways of seeing. A poet strives at their best to make something beautiful out of something mundane, even something profane. Poets turn landfills into landmarks, garbage dumps into green gardens. Poets take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. This is just what God does. God takes the the ugly mess of our world and even at times the ugly mess of our own lives and he makes of that something beautiful. His name is Redeemer. He is in the, the business of redeeming what is broken, of restoring what is lost. You think of those words in Romans 8 where it says that God works all things together for the good of those that love him. All things. And if you don't believe me, I submit to you Exhibit A from John's Passion that we read a moment ago. And in particular, this little seemingly insignificant detail that John includes right at the very tail end of that gospel reading. He said this, Now in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. You catch that? A garden. You're familiar with the idea of poetic justice, right? Poetic justice is when someone receives their just desserts in an especially satisfying and delicious way. Uh, It's poetic justice when the con man gets swindled. It's poetic justice when the trash talker gets dunked on, right? These are instances of poetic justice, and it's a way going back to the ancient Greeks and their comedies that people would find a fitting way to wrap up their stories, to conclude their stories, to see how justice is done. And what about God? Does God believe in poetic justice? I think if you read the scriptures, you'd have to say, yeah. I mean, just think of in the Old Testament, some of the stories of the Old Testament. I think of, of King Nebuchadnezzar the wicked king of Babylon in the the book of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, he's haughty and he lifts himself up, exalts himself against God most high. So what does God do to Nebuchadnezzar? He turns him into a cow, basically. His hair grows long, his nails grow long, and the next thing Nebuchadnezzar knows, he's out there eating grass. Poetic justice. Or again, you think of the, the story of the Tower of Babel. When all humanity arrays itself against God using language to exalt themselves against Almighty God. And so what does God do? He scatters their language. Surely God believes in giving the wicked their just deserts. He believes in poetic justice. But even more than that, 
what God desires so deeply to show to his human creatures, to give to you and to me, is not poetic justice, but poetic mercy. Think again, going all the way back to the, the beginning of time. Where was it that sin first entered into the world? Of course, it was in a garden. It was there in the Garden of Eden when Satan led Adam and Eve astray. Another poet, John Milton, in his great epic poem, Paradise Lost, he begins this way. He says, of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with loss of Eden. The bitter fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's around us in all that we see. So that now the life-giving garden gave way to death-dealing toil. This is the, the dread promise or the dread curse that God set on Adam. It's what we heard some 40 days ago on Ash Wednesday, right? Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Another poet, a guy by the name of Gerard Manley Hopkins, he put it this way. He said, generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge, and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. You and I know that toil, that bare soil. It's what we live with Every day, in as much as we live with the, the effects of sin in this world, the effects of this accursed ground, all the futility of our attempts to, attempts to try and live out of our own strength, and what becomes of it, like Jesus says, we're, we're branches trying to bear fruit apart from the vine. Or it's like that ancient myth of Sisyphus, where we're just pushing the boulder uphill all of our lives, and just when you think you have made it, it rolls back down all the way to the bottom of the hill. We live with the effects of this painful justice for our sins and the sins of all the world each and every day, and it hardly feels poetic. Am I right? This is what we know, what we know all too well. What we know is comeuppance. What we know is the other shoe dropping. What we know is, is harvesting what we have reaped and what we have sown. That's what we know over and over again. What we know is Murphy's Law. What does Murphy's Law say? Anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. Dust we are. And we spend our lives eating the rotten fruit of our toil, biting the bare soil wrought by our sin. That's what we know. But that is not what God wants to give to you and me. That is not where God wants you and me to live. Instead, like the, the psalmist says, he does not repay us according to our sins, nor give to us according to our iniquities. He doesn't want to drop poetic justice on us, but instead his poetic mercy. He is the Redeemer. And so out of that bare soil of our paradise lost, he has worked something marvelous. You think of that reading from Isaiah, that wonderful reading from Isaiah that we read a little bit ago. It said, Isaiah wrote, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. 
God takes that ground made into a garbage dump by our sin and transforms it into a verdant valley. This is who he is, and this is what he does, for he believes in poetic mercy. In a moment, we're going to sing the hymn, The Tree of Life. And there's a line in the hymn. It says, What mercy God showed to our race, a plan of rescue by his grace. For on a tree uplifted high, his only son for sin would die. See, just as Satan overcame us by the tree of the garden, so by the tree of the cross is he overcome. So that just as where death arose, so now life might rise again for you and me and all creation. For in the place where Christ was crucified, there was a garden, and it smells sweet. There's a priest in Los Angeles, a guy by the name of Greg Boyle. I may have mentioned him before. He's got a ministry there called Homeboy Industries. And Homeboy Industries ministers to the marginalized and the down and outs, gang members, recovering gang members, and the homeless. And Father Boyle, he recounts this time uh, when he experienced sin in all of its stench and God's redeeming work in the midst of it. See, his parish had committed to a new homeless ministry where they were going to open up their church, open up their sanctuary, so that homeless men in the neighborhood would have a place just to sleep at night. They could come and just lay in the pews anywhere they could find a place. And so they would regularly get 50 homeless men each night, sometimes upwards of 100 guys coming into the church and spending the night in there. So you can only imagine what it started to smell like after a while. And uh, Father Boyle would do all that he could, especially on Sunday mornings, right? He would try to, to foo-foo up the place, you know. He would strategically put some of those air wicks, right, and some potpourri, trying to make it smell a little bit better, but the stench was still unmistakable. And so, as you might expect, there were some folks in the congregation who started to grumble about this, started to complain about their nice clean, good-smelling sanctuary that was now being destroyed by all these homeless guys coming through here. And so one Sunday, Father Boyle decides that he needs to tackle this issue head-on. He's just got to address it. And so in his sermon, he asks the question straight away. He says, what does our church smell like? And everyone's just mortified. You know, it's just awkward silence. Nobody wants to look him in the eye. Everybody knows what it smells like, but nobody wants to say anything until finally this old guy, Don Raphael, who's long past caring what anybody else thinks about him, he just shouts out, it smells like feet! <laughs> and a few people chuckle, and Father Boyle's undeterred. He says, okay, yes, it smells like feet. And why does it smell like feet? Someone else speaks up. Because we let a bunch of homeless guys sleep here. Yep, that's right. We let a bunch of homeless guys sleep here. But why would we do that? Someone else says. Because that's what we have committed to do. Oh, okay. But why in the world would we commit to letting all these homeless guys come in and, and ruin our nice, clean, sweet church? 
And someone says, because it's what Jesus would do. Oh, okay. Now they kind of see where he's going with this. He says, in that case, what does the church smell like? And a man stands up and he says, it smells like commitment. And the congregation cheers. Everyone's excited. Except for one person in the back. Old Guadalupe, the aging matriarch of the congregation. She raises her hand. And the whole congregation falls silent. Old Guadalupe, who had been one of the chief complainers at the forefront of those who were grumbling about the smell in the congregation. And Father Boyle sees her hand up. And in spite of himself, says, okay, Guadalupe, what do you think the church smells like? And she says, huela a rosas. It smells like roses. See, our God is a poet. He is the Redeemer who sent his son into the world to clean up this sordid, soiled mess of our sin. Jesus is the ultimate Mr. Clean. And he himself wore that crown of thorns in an order that he might remove the stench of our sin and instead give you the sweet smell of salvation that is all around you, that envelops you from head to toe, now and forever. Nothing can escape the all-encompassing mercy of your Savior. I mean, what have you done? What, what sins afflict you? What are the things that, that bother your conscience? Look at Christ. See your Lord upon the tree. It is finished. On this night, perfect justice has been satisfied. Poetic mercy is all that remains. Christ Jesus is in the business of redeeming what is broken, of restoring what is lost. He's in the business of reclaiming you for God and regaining paradise for us all. For in the place where Christ was crucified, there was a garden, and it smells like roses. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.